back, welcome back, welcome back, everybody. This is yet another episode of an Evolved Review right here tonight. My name is James Caleb Kitchens. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the man who's consumed more wrestling content than anyone in the known multiverse, Caleb Stovall. Welcome back, man. The second Caleb of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm Caleb and he's Caleb. <laughs> Most of the guests that come on either call me James and him Caleb or they call him Stovall and me Kitchens. Yeah. Whatever works. Caleb <laughs> and Caleb, C&C, whatever. Um, so tonight we are, we just got done dropping the very first, uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring season three, and we are still on it. It's about, uh, 1230 in the morning right now. And uh, we are now just starting, uh, on our third hour of podcasting tonight. Uh, we are talking about the A&E biography of none other than Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, oh yeah, dig it. So this is one thing I will tell you uh, about this episode is any and all Randy Savage impersonations will be done by Caleb Stovall because James Caleb Kitchen's voice is almost completely gone because I am sick and also on my third hour of podcasting tonight. So you will very frequently see me snatching beverages from off screen. I am uh, loaded up with green tea as well. So uh, I have plenty of uh, stuff over here. Um, but yes, any any of the uh, impersonations will have to be done by Stovall, which he has no problem doing. No, I don't. I don't. Especially when it comes to Randy Savage, because he's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, look, that's actually a great place to start, man. Um, let's just talk a little bit about Savage, like, you know, personally to us. I mean, uh, talk about it a little bit about, you know, what 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 is Randy Savage to you as far as wrestling is concerned? Well, man, when... I was really getting into wrestling as a child and everything like that. He was still on top then, uh, even in WCW. He was one of the top guys and stuff like that. And that was actually my first intro to him was in WCW. I had no idea he was in WWE, just like um, with uh, Hogan. I didn't know he was in WWE until later on in my life because, you know, these guys were in WWE around in the 80s and stuff like that. So, you know, they didn't really have a long run with WWE in the 90s. I mean, yeah, you had 90, 91, 92, um, that kind of stuff. But around 93, which is when I kind of would have been getting into wrestling, they were going into WCW. You know, they both showed up in WCW in 94, and that was like when I was really getting into wrestling. So I really only know them from the from their WCW days. But because I saw them in their WCW days, I don't know if anyone remembers this. Um, you know, us us two being from Augusta, now we live in Atlanta and stuff like that. But um, you know, back in the day when WCW was around. They used to come to the Augusta Civic Center like almost every other weekend, it seemed like. You know, they would bring Thunder there pretty often. Yeah, they brought Thunder and uh WCW Saturday night. Yeah. I mean it wasn't a it wasn't a big drive for them. WCW was headquartered in Atlanta. Exactly. So, you know, the, it, it was, you know, a few hours back to HQ for them. Yeah. In Augusta. And he, unlike Hogan, would perform a lot on WCW Saturday night. He would wrestle on uh, WCW Saturday night. He uh, he didn't mind doing that. So 
Um, he would wrestle there. And I remember seeing a Monday Nitro that came to Augusta, Georgia, where it, incidentally enough, um, uh, Medusa dropped the women's belt in the garbage. And she did that in Augusta. And I had no idea because that was back at the time when, you know, they didn't project stuff to the live audience through the house and stuff like that. So they just did it for the TV thing. So I had no idea that that was in Augusta, Georgia, that she did that, but he was on that show. So, um, and I remember, you know, him growing up as a kid, obviously all of the, you know, his voice and stuff like that. Um, his catchphrases, Ooh, yeah. Snap into a slim Jim, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, that that was just awesome. So Macho Man holds a very special place in my heart. I loved seeing the Slim Jim commercials be included in this documentary because yes. I think everybody knows him from the damn Slim Jim commercials. I mean, that was a big deal. It was a huge sponsorship for him. And everybody loved those commercials. And they were so out there and so crazy. And the earliest that I remember him was I remember the Slim Jim commercials. And I also remember... Um, you know, him feuding with my childhood favorite, which was DDP. Um, you know, I feel like those matches between Paige and Savage are absolutely hidden gems because they were all bangers. Every last one of them. Their feud is one of the best feuds in wrestling to me, and I, I feel like it's very heavily slept on. Because yes. if you look at the trajectory of it, Paige never really could truly get over on Savage all those years and then finally like he had to turn heel to be able to finally be able to beat him because savage always would get the leg up on him uh you know no matter what they did a similar program with him and uh scott steiner right where like he could never beat scott steiner and then finally he like goes heel to beat him anyway this is not a ddp biography thing um i'll i'll spend two hours on that but that was my introduction to savage and then as i got older and learned more about like savage's history in the wwf i went back and watched that stuff um yeah we'll talk about uh obviously the elephant in the room here you know uh savage and steamboat we have to talk about that i i loved how much attention the documentary gave here let, let me show you something real quick and my handwriting is atrocious but like whenever we whenever we review these i i take not really detailed notes but i always like i jot down something i know i'm gonna want to talk about there's right. so many there's so many guest speakers in this biography this whole section right here is just all people who are guest speakers. I mean, there's there's like 35 people on here, and I didn't even write down anybody who, like, like I, like I didn't write Natalia down because I didn't, I mean, I guess she's significant, but I just, I didn't, I didn't think she was going to come up. And well, now, and now I've. only have like two phrases in the whole thing. Some of them, some of them do, but, but I mean, a lot of them come back over and over. I'm, when they first showed Kurt Hawkins, I guess this is a great time to talk about this. When they first showed Kurt Hawkins, I was like, does Kurt Hawkins have some sort of relationship to Randy Savage that I am unaware of? That's what That was what I was thinking, too, when I saw him. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, and then I was like, okay. And then, like, Shane Helms randomly shows up later. Oh, 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 okay. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, all right you know i i don't know but yeah i mean that's uh, they just kind of had some like random it's like oh this person's in the wrestling industry and they 
have fond memories of watching Randy Savage as a kid. Doesn't everyone? I mean, yeah. You know. Um, and um, there's a name that has been floated out on on this program ever since we started doing the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament. Um, that uh, is is one Tony Deppin. That always gets that kind of reaction from you if you're not watching this and you're just listening to this on uh, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, James is doing this very, like, stink face. <laughs> um, face you know, Caleb, you know, I, was having, I was having a good day. It, it's, all, it's early Thursday. It's, we haven't even, we're not even one hour into Thursday yet. And you have already invoked the name of Tony Deppin well, in, in this in this sacred uh, sanctimonious sanctum. Well, in my defense, because there is a Tony Deppin in this in this documentary. That's true. His name is Dan Sober. Yeah. Or however the hell you say his name. I Why think it's Soder, is yeah. he in this documentary? Please, someone tell me. I liked when it showed up and it was like uh, his credentials were WWE super fan. I think he, yeah. I think they just got him because he's somebody who did the voice really well. I, I, I guess because the shit that he says in this documentary, I, like he sounds like a complete moron. Like he is, he is an idiot in this documentary apparently though he's like not famous but like he's like a uh like a comedian and he's somewhat famous for doing randy savage impressions that's that's it that's why they got him i guess but and he and he does do it really well but okay he does that really well we didn't need to okay i'm just gonna go ahead and say because we all know what happens savage you know um tragically passes away and the age of like 52 or something or 60 something I think he was 58 spoilers yeah. man spoilers <laughs> yeah right but it, at the end there this guy sits there and he utters the line that's such a savage way to go like that like like that'd be totally something randy savage and he's trying to defend himself and i'm just like dude can you just shut up just shut up right now stop talking like <laughs> yeah like i mean on the surface level of it, I I agree with them, but but like the way that it happens in the documentary, it's so awkward. It's yeah. really awkward. Um, yeah, it, it really is. I just I, if you're tuning in, folks, I can I can already tell you now we're we're gonna be all over the place for this. We're just yeah. jumping we're just jumping around from topic to topic here. So uh, before we go any further, uh, if you haven't seen this yet, please go watch it on A and E. You can find it on the A and E app. And as I have uh, said during the Piper uh, review, um, go check that out. Um, that I think you know, all, if you watch this on the A and E app for free, there there's a lot of ads in it, and I think there's only like five sponsors for A and E. So you're gonna see like the same like psoriasis cream commercial like seventy times. Um, okay, so so uh, Savage Man, you know, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier tonight. All these documentaries kind of have this same kind of origin. It's like he was always into sports, but Savage, man, uh, Randy Savage was into, well, I guess he wasn't Randy Savage yet. You know, he was Randall Mario Poffo. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was, 
he was not just into sports. He was he he played baseball professionally and played football and basketball at an amateur level. Yeah. And when he was in school, he was playing all three. Yeah. And he could uh switch hit. He he learned how to throw with his left hand as well, so he was right and left-handed. He could do both. Yeah, he was a catcher. He separated his shoulder. He learned how to throw left-handed. That's just, I mean, there are people in the MLB Hall of Fame that probably could not have done that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's just wild. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, so one thing I will say too is like I don't want to go and cover a ton of the Miss Elizabeth stuff in this because like you know we already have it out there right dark side of the rings very first episode was macho man and elizabeth and um you know we reviewed that so please go check that out it's on uh it's everywhere your audio podcast can be heard and then also it's on facebook it's on youtube but it is our very first episode so it's rough um but still it's it it is fun to go check out and see like where we're at now versus like that very first episode where we really had no idea what we were doing um so there, but there is a little bit of crossover. I mainly want to talk about the new stuff that kind of this documentary either uncovered or stuff that the other documentaries about him don't really talk about. Um, I didn't know his mother was a Holocaust survivor. That was a, a very cool thing. Yeah, um, I didn't know that either. That was that was insane. Yeah, I mean, you just think about like the such a unique family, and she's still alive. She was in the documentary. Yeah, they, they talked about her being a Holocaust survivor, and then like the very next frame is is Judy Poffo. Um, yes, and I, I mean, just imagine being a Holocaust survivor, and then also like outliving your your child, you know, having your child taken from you at age he was age fifty eight. I mean, that's just that that's. I mean, I don't know if remarkable is the word because she probably didn't feel that way about it. Like people don't want to bury their children, right? Like it's not right. how it's supposed to work. But I mean, you know, that's she's lived a very, very long life. I mean, you know. Yeah, it was interesting hearing from her and then the very next person you hear, well, not even the very next person, the first person you hear from is obviously, um, uh, and, and I, oh my God, I forgot his name, but his brother, the genius. Lanny Poffo. So Lanny Poffo. I, that, that's, what I, I, that's what I thought, Lanny Poffo, but for some reason I couldn't say it. Lanny Poffo is actually near and dear to me because when I first got into indie wrestling, I, my gimmick was that I was uh, David Yale or the professor and I would come out in a cap and gown and I, uh, you know, had a, a little diploma with a lead pipe in it and I would hit my opponent with it. And that was hugely inspired by him. I never really did any of like the poetry reading or anything like that. Um, but he was he was brilliant with that stuff. He I mean, was. A lot of people forget how good he was. And he was a huge inspiration for that gimmick. And uh, so, you know, I, I've always, like, really followed his career. Obviously, I mean, he wasn't nearly as big as his brother. But they were very close. And, you know, they were always very, you know, determined. Like, if he's going to go in the Hall of Fame, the whole family's got to go in. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just be him. And that's what he wanted, you know. Um but that yeah i mean he had an incredible like childhood um i i like that they uh they talked about uh pamphiro uh furpo yes i was just about to talk about this um i loved hearing the story about how 
he basically is coming up with the macho man gimmick and he goes to Lanny and says, Hey man, I need help. I can't figure out uh, a gimmick. I, I need to figure out. And he's like, well, you wrestle like a savage. You look like a savage and everything like that. Who's the most savage interview that you've ever seen? And he uh, brings up him. And I had no idea about this guy. Oh, so, you never heard of a, of a Pampera Furpo? No, I have not. Oh, well, actually, now, now that I think about it, um, who, what was his, uh, um, it's in Jim Cornette's theme. Yeah, it's in the it's in the, uh, the drive-through. Members Vampiro Furpo. Yeah, it's in there. It's it's in the drive-through theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so well, that's interesting. But then, like you know, he he even says it like Vampiro Furpo just goes, "Oh yeah," and then Lanny says, uh, "Randy just went, oh yeah," and he, I love his reaction because it basically sounds like the genius. He's like, "By George, I think he's got it." Yeah, I and really then, loved that. Uh, but the line that sticks out to me in all of that is the fact of Lanny goes, "I assure you." After that, I never heard his regular voice ever again. It's it's hard to fathom what his regular voice would sound like. I I, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like if he called me on the phone right now, I mean, obviously can't, but uh, if if he called me on the phone and talked to me in the regular voice, I would not even know it was him. You know what I'm saying? It's like everyone knows him. At, like he did that voice for like 40 years or something like that. It was probably like 30, but whatever. Uh, an incredibly long amount of time. Um, yeah, I mean, I loved that part of this documentary. That was really good, them talking about the origins of the character. I never even thought about uh, Pamphero, uh Furpo. I never even... No. Like, I never drew that conclusion. And that might seem kind of ignorant of me as somebody who's like, you know, uh, a student of wrestling, I guess. But, yeah, I never drew that. Uh, I never connected those dots, rather. So that was awesome from this documentary. Um, I did know that he was kind of a, a cheapskate. You know, he was known as like a guy who could, you know, squeeze a nickel until the buffalo screams, uh, as the saying goes. Uh, you know, uh, so I had heard that, and it was kind of funny to hear, like, Sting and some other people kind of joke about it. <laughs> I, I mean, speaking of the list of guest stars, I mean, there's just some crazy, like, Names on here. We got Vince McMahon, uh, Bruce Pritchard, uh, Lori Bischoff, who we never see in anything. Ever. No. Um, okay. All right. I, I got to stop this. Are you <laughs> about to say who I think you're about to say? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm stopping on Lori Bischoff for a second. Doesn't Lori Bischoff talk exactly like Eric Bischoff? Like the way she speaks, it's exactly like him. Doesn't Lori Bischoff kind of look like if, like, Eric Bischoff, like, got a sex change? <laughs> I'm just saying, all due respect, I'm a huge fan of Eric Bischoff, as as everyone knows. I'm just saying, doesn't it kind of look like that? I I, I guess a little bit. I, I never really even drew that conclusion, but it, I mean, you it, hang around Bischoff all these years, I guess you're going to. 
it could just be me. It could just be me. I, I'm, if it's just me, I'm fine. That, but that's immediately what ran through my head for some reason. I was just like, well, it's interesting that we just heard from her in in this documentary. Like it was like like when she showed up, I went, "Whoa!" Like yeah. me too, because I was like, "That she's never in anything. I've never seen this woman before in my life." I've um, seen one time I saw her in an ad free shows. Um, not watch along, but it was a meet and greet thing with uh, a, well, it was a virtual thing. And uh, I talked to Bischoff on this virtual thing and his wife came in during the virtual video thing. And she like was sharing stories. So I was like, and she is referred to as Mrs. B. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Um. So we got, Sting, Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Steamboat, Bubba the Love Sponge, R-Truth, Nash, Shane Helms, Honky Tonk Man, uh, Jerry Lawler. I mean, <laughs> it, just, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, there was a lot of people that wanted to talk about uh, Savage. I mean, he left an impression on a lot of people. So, it, it, you know, kind of a disclaimer here as well, and I think we need to go into this. It's important, just like when we cover a Benoit, right? But not to the same extent, of course. But I think it, it, at a certain point, you have to be able to separate someone's ring work from their personal life. And I, I think in his personal life, I think Savage, you know, you know, he did have a steroid problem. He did have a, uh, he was kind of addicted to that party lifestyle. Um, he was a very controlling, like obsessive person when it came to the relationships in his life. He had a lot of trust issues. He probably really needed to go to therapy. Um, but that's just not something that like, uh, you know, uh, p pun intended, macho men did back then. Uh, you know, and, and so here we have all these issues. And when you listen to the like personal life, you know, problems that, and the friendship and love-hate relationship he had with Hogan, I mean, you, you can definitely tell that this is a guy who really didn't trust anyone around whoever he was in a relationship with and maybe didn't trust him at all. And he was a, a very paranoid guy. Yeah. But, but you have to be able to look at that objectively and also look at his ring work, and I think you have to separate the two. Um, I absolutely love that this documentary talks about the WrestleMania three match. Yeah. Um, in, in great detail. Yeah, and, and um, I, I like that, and we'll get into that in just a minute, but I kind of have to challenge, though, that statement of you have to look at, you know, because I get that, you know, especially when we talk about um, Randy Savage and then we talk about other people like Benoit and, and you know, we just did the Brian Pillman episode, right. stuff like that. But, you see, there is a common theme here with this legends biography series, which is the fact of, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage, they lived their gimmick. That's who they were. Like that was, that was the definition of your personality with the volume turned way up basically. Right. Um, and so when you have that, it's awfully hard to separate the personal life and the in-ring work because the question, and I think this is more what Dark Side of the Ring, 
you know, kind of tries to ask and covers a lot. But even with these like legends biography, it's like, where does that stop? You know, does the character turn off and there's a real human being, you know, like, like, like where, where do you draw the line there? And I think it's, you know, something that's easy to happen, right? Is it's easy to blur that line because when we talk about, you know, we talk about pro wrestling, you got to remember at the end of the day, like these people are playing a character, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's method acting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as, as they cover in this documentary, you have to believe it in order to, for them to believe it because yeah. you're projecting it out there. And if you're, if you go out there and you're phony, they'll be able to tell. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're hamming it up, they can tell. And, and that's kind of the, what happens is, you know, you look at like Heath Ledger uh, when he was playing the Joker and, you know, his diaries and stuff that he left, these kind of like dark places that he was going to in his head from becoming this, this character. It's, it's very similar to that mm-hmm. where you go out there at, and you're, and you're Randall Poffo and you go out there as you're, and you're the Macho Man Randy Savage and you hear everybody screaming your name. You hear, 90,000 people reacting to every little thing you do. It is, I say this all the time. There is something about that. It, it, you know, some human beings cannot take it mentally. No. Um, it, it's very hard, you know, especially if, for somebody, you know, to be like a baby face when you go out there and you hear all those people cheering for you and, and, and egging you on. They're, they're tying their emotions to your, performance to your victory yeah and and, it does something to some people that they just cannot take it they begin to believe that that's what they are and it's not a character yeah exactly and and i mean it's hard not to because you know where 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 can you i guess envision something like that happening to you you know how can you prepare yourself for that people can say oh well i want to be a wrestler but what does that really mean what 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 do you really know about wrestling i mean you see it on tv but you don't know exactly what goes through a person's head in the ring and what goes on outside of the world of wrestling once you're in it and stuff like that so i mean it's very easy to lose yourself and stuff like that um, like you said, prime example, Heath Ledger. Um, I can think of another one um, that's more lighthearted, but Robert Downey Jr. You know, I've, I've used him before. Think about, he believed he was Tony Stark. I don't care what anyone says. If you look at that, he would not have been able to pull that character off if he had not believed he was Tony Stark at one point. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Depp has said that he randomly will find himself slipping into the Jack Sparrow character. Yeah, you know, so it, it it definitely could happen, and I think for somebody, you know, Jim Ross, the immortal words of Jim Ross, you know, you you take somebody's core personality, um, and then you amp it up times a thousand, and I think, I think with Randy Savage, I think he amped it up times a million. I think he said, oh. "I'm going to take this into the stratosphere," because while he never may have never talked about it, he was almost constantly fighting to get out from under Hogan's shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things about these documentaries is a lot of times, you know, I've seen that they kind of 
don't they kind of paint Hogan the Piper one and this one they really paint Hogan I think in a much brighter light than he deserves to be in and that might be my own bias but it's like Hogan just kind of always acts like he had no part in these things happening you know he's just like yeah man I don't know why the guy reacted that way but I mean Hogan's got to remember that like basically the entire WWF was built to revolve around him and building this character for him for you know a good part of that decade yeah and and there's a lot of emotions that come with that you know, you look at like a guy like Piper who, you know, he never got to carry the, the, the title or Savage who never got to go over on Hogan until they got into WCW. Vince never yeah. let it happen. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't like how, you know, they kind of there's nobody on the documentary disputing Hogan's side of the story where he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, these things happened. And, you know, I, I had really no part in it. I um you know it is what it is uh we had speaking of hogan we had heard the stuff about you know elizabeth going to stay at his place and all that and i think dark side of the ring probably had a better coverage of that period of time than this documentary did yeah well they they got it more from um uh what's her name uh of hogan's ex-wife linda yeah 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 linda um Linda gave a little bit more detailed thing because she was actually in close contact with Liz Hogan, you know, really wasn't uh, that close in contact with her and stuff like that. So yeah, you would get more of a story of that, but you mentioned earlier, um, you know, how they went into detail about the WrestleMania three match. I thought it was absolutely fascinating hearing Rick steamboat say that look we wrote down every step we were quizzing each other and stuff like that and then when they showed clips of the matchup he was like one two three going through like the motions and by the way every time i see that steamboat arm drag i just it i get chill bumps like i fucking love that steamboat arm drag. It is the greatest arm drag in the history of wrestling. I do not care what anyone says. No one can do it like steamboat. Um, and look, I love that match. That match is incredible. I do not agree with the statement though, that he could never fully top it or anything. Well, okay. Maybe he couldn't fully top that match. But they kind of make it seem like that was the only good match that he had. And I was like, I disagree with that completely because he had three matches with Diamond Dallas Page that were incredible. He had a, a, a ton of great matches. I think yeah. I think in the scope of the documentary, I don't think they intended for it to be that way because you got to remember, like, it's not necessarily wrestling people making this documentary. True. But, like, at the same time, it does sort of seem that way. And, but in reality, you know, he really did. I think he was always in the shadow of that match. And, and that's understandable because it holds up today. Look at the WrestleMania three card, right? Uh, other, if you take out the moment, right? The Hogan slamming Andre and the torch being passed, right? You take that out. Nothing else on WrestleMania three holds up today, really. Nope. 
but no, that match no, does. No one, barely anyone can tell you what the card was yeah. other than that match and Hogan and Andre, obviously. Savage and Steamboat, some people consider it the best match of all time. I don't think it's the best match of all time. I think it's on the list. Yeah, I think it's on the list, but you know, I, I think it was amazing though. And and for that time period, it would not be topped for a very, very long time. I oh. mean, I don't I don't think you start to get into matches that can compete with that match until Shawn Michaels comes along. Yeah, um, and you know, it, it was interesting. I'm glad that uh everyone or no one said that it was steamboats best match or anything like that. I mean, I guess that's what people are obviously saying that it was his best match. And if people were going to say that that was Ricky, the dragon steamboats best match, I would argue against it. I'm like, no, I disagree. The best match he ever had was with Ric Flair. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't honestly know if it's Savage's best match either. Um, you know, as far as like what I'd want to rewatch, I don't know yeah. if it is his best match, but I think in his mind, yeah, I think he was always trying to top it. And I understand that because it happened in front of 93,000 people. So to okay. them, to the two of them, I've never been in front of a crowd half that size, but I know like 600 people, uh, you know, 1200 people have the ha hair standing up on my arms. So I can't fathom what being in that sea of, nearly a hundred fucking thousand people i just can't okay. fathom what that must have been like i mean it must have just been insane and you uh, know back then wrestling was so hot they were popping for every little move it, it had to have been it, it had to have been mind-blowing and life-altering and i can see never being able to top that in your own head yeah i mean i i can see that and and um whatnot i just think though that you know to make if if you were making the statement that it was the best match out of the two of them, I would disagree with that. Cause I, I'm like, it, it was, it was a great match. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people like what I'm just saying is, it's like, there are what I consider the best match of someone is if I want to go back and rewatch it kind of thing. And I have, I have gone back and rewatched that match, obviously, but there are so many more matches that I choose out of the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a damn good match and still holds up to this day and everything like that. And then as you saw, once he had that match with Steamboat, yeah, rocket launch. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Vince... You know, I didn't expect Vince to explain anything because Vince never explains anything. But he never really explains why he was trying to take Savage out of the ring. It's not like he was hurt. He wasn't beat up. I mean, Hogan even said, look, he was in great shape. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know it, unless it was like he just saw like the mental de deterioration where he saw that Savage was getting into, you know, he was getting to be a bit unstable, maybe. But maybe. I can't understand trying to put him on commentary. I, I can't really fathom that decision. I mean, that it's just, it is mind blowing to me unless it was really a situation where he thought Savage was going to become bigger than Hogan. I, but here was the thing. Even when he put him on commentary, Hogan wasn't really even the face at that time. 
Right. Hogan was off doing movies and he even, you know, really showed very little interest in wrestling at the time when uh, Macho went on commentary and stuff like that. Um, I even loved hearing that from uh, Honky Tonk Man. You know, I don't know why Vince wants to put people on commentary and stuff like that. But think about this, right? This has been, I've, I've heard this uh, example on like, you know, 83 weeks, what happened when, and um, all those other podcasts and stuff like that. I've heard this, ex- uh, th- this uh, explained though. Think about this. Vince is basically looking at Savage like he's too old. Let's let's just say for the sake of argument, he's looking at him like he's getting older and he's a bit he's just a bit too old. Right. And he's only like 39 or 40, right? Right. AJ Styles today is 45 years old. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know Vince is still bringing back Bill Goldberg and and whatnot. Exactly, like it, it, that is what mind bottles. Because remember, that was the narrative for so long when it came to the WCW side of things, right? That like all Hogan, they were getting Hogan, and he's old. Savage is old. Uh, Luger's old. All these other guys, you know, oh, they're just so old, and I'm sitting there just like. The top stars in the industry today, even the people who helped put the independents on the map, are in WWE right now, and they are in their 40s. Right. I mean, The Undertaker is 56. Yeah. And Vince was, like, begging him to come back, you know, up until the last day. And and your fa- one of your favorites of all time, who recently got released, Samoa Joe. Yeah. Think about that. He's he's only in his forties. Yeah. He still has a lot left in the tank. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to think, right? I mean, that Vince had somebody this hot. I mean, the only thing I can figure, knowing what I know about Vince McMahon, is that somebody he was trying to push, maybe Luger. You know, he just knew that they couldn't get out from under Savage. Um, and maybe he he didn't want Savage to be the top guy, and so he just couldn't, you know, he just went another route, which, I mean, that sounds very Vince to me. Um, and, th- and here was the thing, too. When Savage was on commentary, he wasn't fully commentary. Right. If you go back and you look at the old footage, I mean, he's doing commentary, but he kind of goes back and forth in the ring. Yeah. Agreed. And especially like, like we can't forget, we just covered it. The Royal rumble 92. I mean, that looks, he has the look of someone who just snorted as much cocaine as freaking herb Abrams did in (laughs) dark side of the ring. I mean, he comes out and it's like the energizer bunny on coke. Like it's just yeah. he he really does. It it's in it he really does. Uh they really never talk about him doing coke and maybe I mean, he probably did. I mean I you know, I can't say, but uh, you know, if he if you're gonna if you'll shoot up steroids, then odds are, you know, and and it was the thing to do back then. Um, especially, you know, later in his life when he got with Gorgeous George. You know, it looked like they were staying up all night partying. There's no way he was keeping up with her without some help from somewhere. Oh, um, yeah. Um, 
That being said, though, before we get into that, I want to talk about him leaving and going to WCW. How strange was it that for Vince, you know, I, I guess Vince in his mind is thinking, yes, definitely I want Savage to come back one day so I can put him in the Hall of Fame because he's such a huge part of WWF. You know, how how weird is it seeing Vince give this heartfelt live on the air like goodbye to somebody leaving and going to WCW? Uh, you know, I, I guess it's just because Savage did so much for the WWE. Savage was someone he could rely on. You know, I, I, I want to kind of attribute it to, um, you know, when they were supposedly setting up Ric Flair versus Hogan at Mania, right? And it ended up being Savage and Flair. Well, I guarantee you it ended up being Savage and Flair because Vince knew that he could trust Randy or at least felt he could trust Randy. He knew Randy was going to show up on time. He knew that he was going to do business when he needed him to do business. He knew that he was going to do that kind of stuff. So I, that's what I'm thinking that Vince, you know, kind of has going through his head. Cause you know, I don't want to say it's just business because he doesn't gain anything from doing that heartfelt speech. If you really think about it, you know, Um, but maybe he just, maybe it just depends on when you get Vince too. You know, maybe he just felt um, that passionate about Savage. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. He does even admit though, that like, he was like, well, you know, I wasn't happy about it, which, I wouldn't expect you to be happy about it. It would be like is it would be like if Darius Lockhart basically, you know, showed up on some other thing and it was like, well, I'm not happy about it, but good for you, you know, kind of thing. If that's the way you need to go, then go. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially like them being rivals at the time on television. Yeah. And everybody knows that story. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that Lanny uh, Poffo kind of describes it because normally people would be like, oh, well, that was a terrible move. He went to WCW. He literally says he's like, he's like WWF thought that Savage was old and used up. Well, WCW didn't think that way. And it's true. I mean, they didn't just bring him over just because he was a WWE name. I hate that narrative. Like, I mean, yes, in ways they did that with a lot of people, but they still have to be able to go kind of thing. And Savage was clearly able to still go. And, I mean, he brought them a major sponsor. Yes. With Slim Jim. They talked about that. Yep. I mean, this was a great deal all around. This wasn't Bret Hart where they – you know, ruined it and didn't use them correctly. They used Savage really well in WCW. Oh yeah, they did. I mean, he was he was one of their top faces for a very long time, especially especially throughout the Monday Night Wars. And it's interesting that he was one of the ones that went to bat for WCW when the Outsiders first invaded and they did the NWO angle and then they moved Savage into the NWO, which 
I thought was brilliant because I was like, Savage fits perfectly with the NWO. He's a former WWE guy. He's not a WCW guy. And he's rich and famous. Right. And he, he looked awesome in the black and white. Yes, he did. And then you talk about that rivalry that he had with DDP. I mean, that was just a, that was just a work of art. And I know that uh, one of your favorite matches is the Halloween Havoc matchup that they have. But I'm going to do you one better. I thought the best match that those two had was the one at Spring Stampede 97. I thought you were going to bring that up. That Spring Stampede match was amazing. It was amazing. And like the ending to it. Because I'm sitting there thinking, all right, Savage is going to go over. We all know this. It's WCW. And then the three count happens and it's DDP. And I was like, oh, that was awesome. (laughs) And the thing, too, about that. I mean, all their matches, really, but that one in particular, they beat the bejesus out of each other. Yes. I mean, you could, I mean, you know, the term in the industry is, you know, uh, working snug or working tight. They definitely took that to another level in their matches. They were throwing some ham bones in those matches. I mean, you could tell they really laid in a bunch of those strikes. Um, Well, then they obviously were very comfortable with each other doing that. Right. They were. A lot of people think that, like, you know, when you do that, people say, well, then you work snug every matchup. Well, that doesn't happen every single matchup. Like, Savage didn't work snug with everyone, you know, kind of thing. It's only people that you know you can have that kind of match with, that, that you have that kind of chemistry with. And him and DDP just had that good chemistry. And sometimes you have that and sometimes you don't. But Savage was one of those people that, you know, you give him a broomstick and he could have a five-star match with it. Right. Absolutely. That That's that's exactly it. And and usually, you know, if you see somebody working snug like that, then they, yeah, it's like you said, they usually are, it's more like they've agreed ahead of time mm-hmm. that they're going to work that way, especially, you know, unless something like goes wrong and there's some legitimate heat there. Um Triple H says it best with Shawn Michaels when he took on Shawn Michaels. He's like, he's like, yeah, that's my best friend out there. I'd never hit anyone harder out there. Yeah. Um, I want to <laughs> talk about Michael Braun for a minute. Uh, you know, this was in a very interesting part of the documentary. So Michael Braun is a guy that Randy Savage met through Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And Braun used to design a lot of outfits for pimps. And uh, this made more sense to me than probably anything ever. And it all just clicked. (laughs) All these outfits that Savage had. I mean, uh, they said that this guy was a cheapskate and like, you know, he never wanted to spend any of his money. But Hogan says that Michael Braun made a fortune making clothes for Randy Savage. And I believe it because not only did Savage wear probably the most intricate and outlandish outfits in the history of the wrestling business. He had on a new one like every time you saw him. Yeah. And I guarantee you some of that money was from WWE as well. Like yeah. like like they they also paid um Michael Bowen. Yeah, I think so. Like like uh cuz they probably paid him to help make some of that Savage paid him as well. And then probably when Savage went to WCW, WCW helped paid him. 
Yeah, I mean, they probably bought him some of the NWO gear. But Vince says in the documentary that Savage was doing all that out of his own pocket. So, oh, well, there you go. Never mind. So, so who knows? I mean, I, I don't know, though. I, I'm with you. I think that maybe he was doing it out of his own pocket to begin with. And then, you know, at some point, Vince probably went in. I don't know. If the, if the company pays for it, though, it's their stuff. So he may have been adamant about keeping his own stuff. You saw how he ordered, like, a car, a sports car, and then had to return it because his hat box wouldn't fit in there. <laughs> that was a great story. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you he was absolutely just, you know, very particular about how all those outfits were kept and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that they showed the Jake the Snake uh, angle that happened with the snake bite. If you haven't ever heard Jake Roberts tell this story, it's fantastic. I had the pleasure of, of uh, having him tell it to me in person. Amazing. Uh, absolutely incredible story about the snake. Where, you know, Randy basically, you know, I can't tell. I, I won't even try to, to stand in the shadow of Jake Roberts when it comes to storytelling. But, no. you know, uh, he tells a story where basically the, the, the snake was, uh, was de-venomed or whatever. Yeah. So, like, the snake would bite you, but there's no venom. And Savage was not having that shit. He's just like, no, no, no. You let the snake bite you. And and, and he made Jake have the snake bite him. Yeah. And then he made him put the snake down and, like, watched him for, like, an hour. And, and wouldn't let him drink anything or, or anything because he didn't want him to, like, slip an antidote in there or whatever. He was just, like, insanely paranoid that, like, this snake actually had venom and that Jake had some kind of like anti-venom that he was taking. Yeah. Um, and this was like when Jake Roberts was like a really big heel at the time and he cuts an amazing promo cause they have a match Yeah, and the match doesn't end the, well, it ends in disqualification and stuff like that. And afterwards, like that was when he slapped Elizabeth and Gene Oakland is doing his, you know, Gene Oakland interview with him. What, what were you trying to prove out there? Blah, blah, blah. And I love Jake during the interview. He's just like, he's just like, I want you to, I want you to promise me one thing, Savage, just do me one thing. And he goes, please bring her back. Hmm. Please bring her back. Like, I promise you. I swear it. Like, and he does his, like, he's crossing his chest. I was like, oh my God, this is why you are one of the best of all time in this shit. Like, oh, such yeah. good stuff. You know, you can say what you want to about pro wrestling. And I know people can say there's this dark part of wrestling, there's this part of wrestling, blah, blah, blah. But when wrestling presents you something good like that, there's nothing that can beat it. There's no form of entertainment. I don't care if it's Marvel, DC, uh, Paramount, anybody. They cannot top what wrestling presents when it is good. Because when wrestling's good, man, like I said, there's just nothing. I agree. Um, you know, I'll liken that to... Uh, the most recent time that wrestling has made me feel something like that would was uh, Sasha and Bianca at uh, WrestleMania this year. Yes. Um, you know, the end of that match, the, the whole match really, uh, the emotions I felt during that were incredible. It was like I was a little kid, you know, getting excited for wrestling again. Yeah. Um, 
that those moments are becoming fewer and farther between. But, you know, the great thing is there's so much in the past that you can watch, you know, to, uh, I can go back and watch, you know, late nineties or, you know, mid nineties, WCW all day long. Uh, I don't do that already. Right. Of course you don't. No, all that, all that, all that stuff about you consuming more wrestling content than anyone. That's, you know, we just making that up. Yeah. Um, Ian Riccoboni's a liar. Yeah, he is. He's a damn, he's a damn dirty liar. Um, uh, so uh, I want to talk about Gorgeous George because, like I said, we've we've talked the Miss Elizabeth stuff to, to the moon and back. It's out there. You know, that's the thing. I want to talk about Gorgeous George. Her interview here was very interesting. Yes. Um, first of all, she was fine <laughs> yeah. back in the day. Like, yes. If I was Randy Savage, anyway. Um, <laughs> especially back then. I mean, she looks like she's probably 15 years younger than him, if not more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. But I, you know, because we talked about, you know, how we've talked about the Miss Elizabeth stuff. Um, and so many people have over the years when talking about Savage, obviously. And how could you not? You know, it's a part of the Macho Man. You have you cannot talk about Macho Man Randy Savage without mentioning Miss Elizabeth. But the gorgeous George story. That's a lot of stuff I didn't know about. I mean, I obviously knew that they had a relationship, but I didn't know a lot of the stuff that we heard. And so I'm really glad that they put this in the documentary. That while, yes, they focused on Miss Elizabeth, they finally, like, we finally got some more story to this. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. I thought it was a huge deal that, you know, we saw like she's hanging out with celebrities and going to VIP clubs and stuff. And then as soon as they break up, it's like her sister, you know, didn't want to be pictured, said they immediately, you know, uh, she immediately like went back to being Stephanie. Like she just wasn't that person anymore. And like he cut her out of everything. It's like they never dated. Uh, it's such a wild concept. I mean, it's obvious they were heavily into drugs and partying and stuff. They showed the one promo on Nitro where like, they were like, they were just like, we were high as fuck. We didn't, we didn't know what we were talking about. No, they were on acid. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's like, I mean, with, with Savage though, how could you tell? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he always acted like that, but. It'd be like if Ultimate Warrior was on acid during a promo, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you look at the interview now and, and you see it and you're just like, yeah, I can see how that was. <laughs> like, it yeah. was bad. I, and um, it's almost hard to watch, too. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, the part where she finds out that he's recording, like, surveillance like surveilling her house 24 7 that's craziness yeah that i mean i like you thought he was obsessive with elizabeth uh he never did that like he took this to a new level 
I think with Elizabeth, I think he realized like that his obsessiveness like ruined it. So I think now I think with with Gorgeous George, I think he was still obsessive, and I think he was trying to hide it from her. Yeah, I think he was doing everything he could to mask that, and that I mean, yeah, I mean uh, that kind of all came crashing down on him, and it it does seem like, at least from what you know, his peers say that later in his life he was able to get past that because his um his second wife Lynn, it seems like he had an amazing relationship with, uh, you know, and. And loved her until, you know, he passed away tragically. Yeah. Well, th- that was what they all said. Everyone in uh, the documentary that knew him and stuff like that said that with Lynn, he was at peace. Right. Like that was even when he dropped his feud with Hogan, which I want to circle back to real quick, because here was something I was wondering if they were going to bring this up. And I'm so glad that they did, which was be a man, Hulk. Come on, don't be scared. Like his fucking rap album. I Yeah. I remember when I found out about this rap album and I thought, no, there's no way this is real. And then you turn it on and it's it's the macho man, Randy Savage, and he's rapping. And it's like, dude, when in the hell did you want to become a rapper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had 50 Cent on there, like, uh, supporting right? it or whatever, promoting it. 50 Cent. Think about that. 50 Cent is no small-time rapper, folks. We're Especially talking, not then. Yeah. We're talking about one of the biggest names in the industry, and he's promoting Randy Savage, which it didn't make a damn bit of difference because that album was a flop. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was awful. I mean, let's just be honest. Oh, it was. Um, his his bone saw role in Spider Man. I'm glad they touched on that. Uh, they didn't talk about Ready to Rumble really, but uh, I I oh, mean he had a oh is ready. He had a huge part in that in that movie too. I mean, even though it was pretty much a WCW movie. Yeah, he also had a role, and uh, they showed the South Park clip. Yeah. It's- but he had a role in Dexter's laboratory. If anyone remembers um, the, in Dexter's lab, they would sometimes have these short uh, stories. And yeah. one of them was his pet monkey, which was just called monkey. And M for monkey. Yeah. Yeah. Dial M for monkey basically. And um, he was a monkey with superpowers and he gets recruited by, um, I think it was Lexor or something like that. I can't remember exactly what Savage's thing. It was uh, Raslor. Raslor. Yeah. Raslor was what he was. And that's Savage's voice. Yeah. And you can tell it's Savage's voice because only he can talk like that. <laughs> yeah. He was in a lot of stuff. He was a villain on a Walker, Texas Ranger episode. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he was in a lot. So... I, I'm glad that they touched on a lot of that stuff. Um, interesting, they you know didn't talk about his last performance at all, but I kind of didn't expect them to, you know, because WWE is heavily involved. Last performance of what? His last wrestling match. His last match was not in WWE. It wasn't in WCW. What was it in? I forgot. 
his very DNA at turning point. Yeah, it was him turning point. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Him, Jeff Hardy and uh, and AJ against the Kings of Wrestling is his last match. Wow. Yeah, I forgot that that's his last wrestling match. But then, I mean, he makes various uh, appearances like he was in the WWE Legends of well, not Legends of Wrestling. What was that thing called that video game? Was it um, where it was that arcade style? Yeah, you had it right. It was Legends of Wrestling. Oh, was it Legends of Wrestling? Okay, yeah. Yeah. so Legends of Wrestling, a uh, video game, and you know he helps with the advertisement and that. But I think what was really telltale of everything was there in the final days of his life, he really kind of dropped the Macho Man persona, uh, at least. Not not necessarily in the public eye, obviously, but when it came to like Hogan, like Hogan even said, like he finally heard his real voice. Yeah, that had to have been awesome. I bet. Like I, it, that that would have been interesting to you know really, I guess, see what Macho Man sounded like and stuff like that. So I mean, even when. You know, they show a clip of him talking about his sports days, right? He's in Macho Man character when he does that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he lived the gimmick, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we probably have gone through just about everything on this one, uh, other than the, you know, the the end of his life. So we will talk about that tragedy. Um you know, Dan Soder said it terribly, but I mean, oh my god, it, it is a cool way to go out, right? Like he had a heart attack into a car crash. It's like it took something absolutely monumental to take Savage down, but it's just you start to wonder, like, okay, if he hadn't been driving a car when it happened, could they have saved him? You know, could he still be around today? Could he have been on this episode? You know, talking to us? Could he be? Uh, you know, have have spoken in his own Hall of Fame induction. It, it, it's crazy to think about the c- contributions he could have now to wrestling and the things that we could have learned from him and about him. Um, and I, I hate that he was taken from us. Yeah. You know, his brother said that he seemed like he was at peace, which is incredible because he was a person who lived a very paranoid life. And it seemed like he was constantly strung out about you know, the pressures of the business and life and things like that. But he was very good, you know, after he left the wrestling business. He was very, um, I would say, you know, smart with his money. He was a good businessman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I would say that that I really loved this documentary. It was good. And, and I think it's even better than the Stone Cold one because – Randy Savage is one of those people like Stone Cold where it's like, what else is there to hear about Randy Savage? In the Austin documentary, we got a few things that we didn't really know about, but this one I think was chock full of all sorts of yes. things that we either didn't know a lot of details about or hadn't been explained in, in, in detail before. Well, same thing with the Piper episode. Right. I mean, th- th- there's just a bunch of stuff and, and, I think that they really did. I also, uh, on a side note, I loved seeing and hearing the village people, Macho Man saw. Like, just when I heard the, hey, hey, 
hey, hey, I just like immediately started dancing. I was like, okay, yep, I can't help it. This is so good. And actually, when I think of that song, I don't even think about the Macho Man, Randy Savage, or even the Village People. I think of the Nutty Professor. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the one. that was the opening theme for the Nutty Professor. So <laughs> yeah, well, That's what I think. Well, Caleb, uh, you got any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up, man? I mean, just you know, Savage is such an icon in wrestling. You know, if I would say if I was to venture the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, it would probably go. Hogan, Savage, Rock, Austin, Flair. I would say that would I would say that would be the Mount Rushmore. Randy Savage, I mean, to me defined what it meant to be a pro wrestler. He lived his gimmick. He was amazing in the ring. You know, I don't know I don't know if I would choreograph every single move, but I, I, I remember Conrad Thompson saying this on one of his podcasts. Um, he said, look, I get, you know, people say, oh, we shouldn't have all of these scripted promos and we shouldn't have all of these scripted matches. And he's like, I don't mind if something is scripted as long as it's good. Because sometimes some of the stuff that's, you know, they do off the top of their heads is bad. So, right. you know, it, it it really is just your preference, but one we of found out at WrestleMania who can and cannot not cut a off the you know off the cuff promo. Absolutely, absolutely, with the weather delay and and stuff like that. But you know, it's funny when people say uh, that you know they prefer all oh, guys calling it out in the ring and stuff like that. Well, let's not forget that one of the so called greatest matches of all time at WrestleMania three. And you heard it from Rick Steamboat himself was planned out a month in advance. Yeah, any I'm, of the great TLC matches are the same way. You kind of have to. Oh, well, yeah, with that kind of stuff, you have to. But just them having a pure wrestling match like that, they planned out every single move from start to finish, not even knowing if the crowd was going to react to it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Hogan here, which is weird, but you got to be able to do both. I don't think there's anything wrong with planning everything, but like in my experience, it's like I feel like you do maybe 60% of what you plan. Oh, yeah. In the back. Um, you know, it seems like Savage wanted to go on a script. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But just, I mean, um, the obviously, like, I agree with Sting as well. You know, when they talk about Randy, you know, they they do a Randy impersonation. You know, everyone has one. Everybody. He's probably, he's probably the most impersonated wrestler of all time. I would say so. I'd say he was, I'd say he's probably the one wrestler that everyone does the most impersonations of. Absolutely. And even people who aren't wrestling fans. Yeah, absolutely. You'll hear the, you know, snap into a Slim Jim, oh yeah, from everybody. Yeah, and Slim Jim is around today, and I truly believe it's because of the Macho Man. Because if they had not had those commercials with Randy Savage, they would not be around today. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. My voice is, is, is shot now. <laughs> I, I said I wasn't going to do it for that exact reason. Ooh, I was, I, yeah. 
I was I was already like almost done because we've been podcasting for hours, but like that that killed it. And like and like even you know him doing like just some of the famous ones, just like the little interviews, like oh the cream rises to the top, oh yeah, dig it. And then just you know his stuff with Miss Elizabeth, you know. There's a picture of Miss Elizabeth here, but there's not a picture of the Macho Man. That's very bad, Miss Elizabeth. Did I tell you to speak? You know, kind of thing. Like it, ah, oh man, just gold, just good stuff. And I like the fact that uh, Bruce Pritchard, um, and I know I said I like the fact that Bruce Pritchard, but <laughs> I like the fact of uh, he even says it that like, looking back at that now we would not do that same type of storyline or anything like that we weren't really setting a good example for people but i don't remember anyone complaining about that type of storyline they just thought it was really good television he he was a heel though it was like this is what you shouldn't do the heel should do bad things yeah exactly you know i mean they did it with randy orton and stacy keebler years later and and I, one thing in the documentary that kind of got me is I can't remember who said maybe it was Honky Talk Man was like I don't know of any other husband wife couple that's really done that in the business. I was like Booker T and Charmel, you know, sort of. Yeah, I mean, well, well, no, absolutely. I mean, they were oh yeah the same concept, but it, there is very few to be fair. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm, I mean, very few husband and wife couples survive in this business because it's such a tough business, you know, um, you're on the road like, and you're not on the road for a month or two at a time. I mean, you're on the road for a full calendar year and you get maybe two days off. And in those two days off, like you said, you're still working out. You're not fully away from it. So it, it is what it is, but Man, I love this documentary. I loved covering this, and I loved the Brian Pillman episode as well. So we got two really good documentaries. And I want to leave you with this. I want you to think about this. Do you think WWE is trying to compete with Dark Side of the Ring? Maybe to an extent. I mean, obviously, I talked about it on our Dark Side of the Ring episode, which is already out as I'm... Uh, saying this right now, so by the time you hear this, you'll definitely be able to hear it. Also, randomly, if you're wondering what that is on my screen, this is my cat right here. My effect is blurring him out. <laughs> there he is. Uh, but if you're wondering why there's like a weird orange thing running around, that's my cat. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a huge interest in this subset of wrestling. I think WWE's like, oh, well, they can't do a documentary better than us. I really like these A&E biographies, right? They don't have what Dark Side of the Ring... Dark Side of the Ring just has this... Whoever's doing these, whoever's putting them together, they're perfect. I mean, the Brian Pillman episode, I was glued to it. And and I I love these, right? But I feel like I got more out of one hour of Brian Pillman than I do two hours of these sometimes. Yeah. Um, They just hit the good stuff. But I think it's time to to take this one home. My voice isn't going to last very much longer. (laughs) All right, so, fair enough. Um, that being said, madness. Yeah, that that being said, man, thanks for being here. Uh, we have a ton of good stuff coming up. We've still got our Booker T episode in the tank. 
Uh, this one is going to come out probably uh, in a couple of days. Uh, I am out of town next week. We won't be recording, so uh, there may be a little bit of a delay in our episodes, uh, but you can still uh, catch us uh, on Facebook, YouTube, anywhere your audio podcasts are heard. Um, and like we said, check out our excellent uh, review that we did for Dark Side of the Ring Season 3, Episode 1, which is the Brian Pillman uh part one episode and we had ace on for that and it was fantastic yes uh from superhero homies so ladies and gentlemen a e biography wwe legends such a mouthful macho man randy savage he's caleb stovall i'm james caleb kitchens this has been an involved review <laughs>